Hi, everybody, and welcome to the European VC podcast. Today, we have with us more sweet from Global Ventures. I am Andreas, and with us today, I have our very good friend Omar Hassan from the MENA Tech Fund. And nor in the hot seat is the general partner of Global Ventures, a UAE-based international venture capital firm with a presence in Cairo, Jeddah, Riyadh, Tunis, and Lagos. Nor was the chief investment officer at the Dubai Future Foundation and managing partner at Leap Ventures. Prior, Noor joined her family business, Deepa, where she scaled the business tenfold, executed four cross-border acquisitions and led the region's first IPO on Yelati and Nasdaq Dubai, achieving a billion-dollar valuation. Making UBC one of the less acclaimed outlets to be featured in, Nord has also been recognized in Forbes World Top 50 Women in Tech list and also the Arabian Business 100 Most Powerful Arab Women list. And to top it off, she's also received the prestigious Arab Women Award for Finance. So if you're listening in, love our show, do drop us a review, follow the pod and subscribe at UBC. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. An alliance. This, this is a union of values, of values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem, problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting, acting, acting. This show is not investment advice, and the hosts of this episode may be invested in the funds and companies featured. Nora, amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. As, um, as my good friend Andreas alluded there in the intro, there's a lot of accolades there, but there's also there's a lot of story behind Nora. I've heard about Nora for many years, and I've been dying to kind of hear firsthand from you the journey that you've been on. So maybe let's start with that. Let's start with the audience. Tell them a bit about Nora and Global Ventures, but prior to Global Ventures, how this all came about and, and your journey, not just in venture, but prior to that. Um, so my journey has been, um, I guess, a, a series of very happy accidents. Um, I never planned to be a venture capitalist. Before that, I never planned to work in government. So I was at the Dubai Future Foundation for a while. And before that, you know, in VC, and if I had to take a look backwards, um, as Andreas mentioned, before that, I was in the family business, I joined a company my father had founded in 95, and I joined in 2005, an interior contracting company. And we, we grew that from six markets in the Gulf to 22 markets globally in three years. We 10x the revenues, the IP in April 08 in the week of time. And I stayed for five years running the public company side of things, the, you know, the, the expansion, the strategy, and so on. But that was never my plan. At the same time, I built the first yoga studio in Dubai, and Yoga scaled that, you know, exited to a private equity firm, but that was never my plan. Um, so I take a look backwards at my life and I just say, you know, it's really a series of just very happy accidents and opportunities that I think I was, you know, lucky enough to be curious to investigate and then enjoy. So that's really, uh, as I look back, and before that business school and, you know, uh, strategy consulting for a few years before that. So... Nothing is really planned and simple and straightforward. It wasn't like I woke up one day and said, I want to be a VC. It was much more my struggles with being an entrepreneur and realizing that in some ways, building something from zero to $1 million in revenue is harder than running a billion dollar company. And I had done both and done both simultaneously. 
and, and realize that entrepreneurs actually have it harder in some ways. And the question is, how can you help and support? And so with that, I went into angel investing in 2009 just to be helpful to entrepreneurs in the region. And then realizing that the regional ecosystem for entrepreneurs and venture was massively underfunded compared to global ecosystems. And every time I'd work with one of the founders that I had invested in to raise money globally, um, they would get funded and then they would move. And that's not really helpful to be participate in a brain drain. So really got curious as to why is there no VC money in the region and what can we do about that? Um, and that's how I got into venture capital. It was just much more as an entrepreneur trying to solve the problem of access to capital for founders. And that's still what we're trying to do at Global Ventures. So it really is working with founders to give access to strategic capital that then we can support them on their growth path. So we started the firm in 2018. Those were very early days in our ecosystem. That year there was just a few hundred million dollars um, deployed into venture capital across all of MENA, all year, all deals. And you know, I always say that it's the size of a one series C round in the Bay Area would be our entire ecosystem all year, which is really sad, but at the same time, such an opportunity because it means that valuations were lower. It means that entrepreneurs were hustling to create businesses that were financially sustainable from an earlier stage and weren't just burning through $10 million because they knew they could raise another 10 in three months. So the ecosystem was very, very nascent. And that was when we raised fund one, which was 2018 vintage. And that was really the inception. And global ventures, not because we invest globally, but rather because our companies aspire globally. And so just under half the portfolio now has more revenues outside the region than within the region. And when we invest, they're only regional companies. And it's really the fact that we can build these global companies from the region. So that's, you know, the, the background is a little bit of everywhere pulled together. I love it when somebody says it's a series of fortunate accidents. But you know, <laughs> if you go if you go back to the first fortunate accident where you've kind of gone into angel investing in the Middle East to start off with, just give us an idea of what the ecosystem was like back then. What kind of ideas were coming to you, and you know, was it quite easy to find entrepreneurs at that time? Because from my memory, that was really kind of you're doing it at the beginning when when we weren't even talking about startups or entrepreneurs back in those days. No, this was before unicorns existed. Um, this was before entrepreneurship was kind of a hot thing. It was when you know you were you were a business person, um, and you were just starting a, your own business. And and this was really you know w- with that mindset, with the whole I'm going to start a company, right? Not a startup. So no one started a startup. People started a company. They were building a business. I think that. That was when it was, if you're in Dubai, you would know companies. So whether it was Zen Yoga that I founded and Bar and Style, and ultimately, you know, it became things like Netbish, um, which was one of the very early tech companies out here and Mom's World, which was an angel investment as well. Um, and that was in 2012 and 2011. So we think about the first generation of these founders and what they were building. Um, and then that was you know, a good 11 or 12 years ago. Going from this angel investing perspective and, and, and investing in the very early days in, in, in the ecosystem, looking at that compared to today, where I think it's not wrong to say that there's, there's not many geos that are talked as much about in the global VC landscape 
as the Middle Eastern uh, uh, region right now. So could you tell me a bit about what it is that you're seeing happening now in the region and, and, and what's kind of underlying that growth? So I think globally there's been kind of a change in the venture landscape in the last couple of years. Um, the good and the bad, right? And the bad being the valuation corrections and how that's hurt a lot of the underlying companies as well as the VCs. But I think the, the silver lining there is we've gone back a little bit to fundamentals that make sense. So before, you know, revenue multiples, we used to have earnings multiples, which, you know, are definitely a thing of the past. And yet about a quarter of our portfolio is EBITDA positive. And for a Series A-focused fund that's very unique on a global level, what it means, though, is that regionally, due to the lack of capital in the ecosystem historically, founders have always been you know, focused on being financially sustainable. Right? And I think that now that the world has noticed that that's actually relatively important, um, can we find companies where the valuations are not overinflated, that have you know, economics that make sense and are sustainable, the regions become that much more interesting. Um, I also think that, that there's this awareness of emerging markets whereby technology that gets built and used in emerging markets and scaled in emerging markets actually usually tackles problems that affect hundreds of millions of people um, and where the demand is really based on human needs and people's needs and growth of, of the ecosystem rather than an incremental 2% change. So I think as we look to using technology globally to impact not just lives, but also to scale in a, in a sustainable manner, that technology does have to be meaningful, right? And I think that that also is happening more in emerging markets than perhaps in markets that traditionally have more R&D, right? And so when we take a look at that shift towards where does capital want to be deployed, it's sensible valuation in markets where technology is deployed to affect hundreds of millions of lives in a sustainable way. Um, and that's really how we're thinking about the, the new capital that's coming to the region and the opportunity that the region has. I'm curious to ask you, because do you then, do you see, where do you see the startups from the region growing into? Because as you said, you're a global investor because you, your, your startups aspire to be global. Do you just see them growing into to, to Europe and the US or do they grow more, more, more east and south? Both, I think that, you know, there is the opportunity in both the West and the East. We've seen historically that they're going more into Europe and the U.S. So companies based in the region are, are really leapfrogging. So historically, we had a large problem with financial inclusion. So, you know, five or six years ago, you had 85% of the region was, you know, was not able to access financial services. So you had 85% financial exclusion. We never really built banks or any other infrastructure, historical infrastructure, in order to address that. It was fintech. And so you were able to use technology to leapfrog that, that now the region's at 55%. Right? And that's a drastic shift in just, three year, in just five years. So when you think about how we can use technology and leapfrog, then the next step becomes, is this technology better than what's available globally? And how can it be applied? And so... With healthcare, we had the same problem. Uh, so for example, in Sub-Saharan Africa, you have 0.2 doctors per thousand people. In MENA, it's one doctor per thousand people. In Europe, for context, you have four doctors per thousand people. So again, we're never gonna build enough hospitals to overcome that access to healthcare. And it's not just telemedicine, it's also remote diagnostics, 
It's also e-pharma. It's everything that comes with that, right? And so you take a look at our portfolio, and now you have five and a half million people that have access to healthcare that didn't before these companies grew. So as you start to think about that leapfrogging, now we're seeing supply chain leapfrogging. So the region historically has imported most of everything. And now there's this large push on supply chain to say, can we manufacture ourselves? Well, we're not going to go build manufacturing style from 90s. We're going to build additive manufacturing, 3D printing. There's no software to enable those. So we're going to build our own software. And then we're able to export that software. Just like with healthcare, for example, we, there's a company that we invested in called Proxini that does virtual uh, or augmented reality for surgeries. And you can scrub any doctor into any OR anywhere in the world. They did over 17,000 surgeries last year in the U.S., but it's a regional company that was leapfrogging to serve a real need for the region, and that real need is global. It's just more dire in the region. And now we're seeing the same thing in supply chain. We'll see the same thing in agritech. One of our companies, uh, which is fantastic because it's a lot of innovation in the region. It's not just this copycat approach. So we still import over 90% of the food. Again, it's desert, so that's expected. But in a world where you can start doing vertical farming, your biggest cost component that makes that unviable commercially is uh, energy. And so if you can reduce your energy consumption, and most of the energy consumption there is related to water. So we have a company that reinvented water desalination. It's called Red Sea. And they now desalinate water for the purpose of vertical farming. And they've reduced the energy consumption by 95%. They're now retrofitting farms in the U.S. and in Europe and so on. But it's out of dire need. We need to feed our people. There isn't enough energy. We need to desalinate water. How do you fix that problem? Right? And that innovation does grow global and does scale globally. But the problems are just not as dire in the U.S. or Europe. And so no one thinks to tackle those problems. Those are the problems where innovation comes in here. And then those are the things we're able to export and to share with the world. No, out of your portfolio at the moment, where do you see the biggest opportunities for innovation? I think right now, supply chain is changing drastically. So everything, like I mentioned, like additive manufacturing. So how do we manufacture and what are those materials? So for material science, so the process of additive manufacturing, the software that enables that and lets you roll it out across multiple companies. So for example, one, one company... Immensa has uh, the, you know, they, they work with large oil and gas and industrial that have $100 million and over in spare parts, right? Again, massive inventory, massive waste. I said, what if we create 3D digital blueprints for each of these spare parts? And anytime you need something, we manufacture it locally using additive manufacturing rather than shipping it halfway across the world and having it there just in case. So the, the whole mindset shift. And then you go all the way to commercial drone deliveries. So companies that are really working with why are we shipping things from a port to a warehouse using trucks on old roads across the emerging markets where street addresses don't exist when drones can do this in a much more efficient way um, and it's all b2b and so and these companies are real with real revenues real ebitda right scaling massively so that opportunity to leapfrog and supply chain exists more in emerging markets where this is a real real problem than it does where it's not, and it's already streamlined um, in other markets. Just linked to that, we've had this conversation in a couple of our previous uh, episodes, and without getting it, without picking sides, if you look at the region and innovation, you know, we were trying to explain to people kind of the makeup, makeup of the GCC, the Levant, North, North Africa, where, 
not saying you're where do you see the most promising country, but where do you see typically innovation coming from? Is it kind of the North Africa region? Is it GCC or you see more in South Africa? Each destination has its own demand, its own market, its own nuances. So some areas are really solving for a very large middle class, um, right? And, and it's really about food delivery and feeding people um, and, and educational needs and healthcare needs. Others are trying to become trading hubs. So it's really about supply chain, logistics. So it really varies. I think each market is very unique. And that's what that's exactly what provides uh, the opportunities across the region is being able to identify each market, its uniqueness, and therefore the opportunities that present themselves. Which market excites you the most? All of them, honestly, <laughs> it really depends. It depends. If it's supply chain tech, I love the UAE, right? right. If it's agriculture, we're looking at Egypt. If right. So you take a look and you, if it's consumer, you're looking at Saudi. Right? Yeah. So each market has its own real offering. No, amazing. And it, it, so, and it is the thing we, we we're trying to kind of paint a picture of you know as a as an investor coming from outside, what the various factors to consider and where those markets are. You kind of you know the earlier stage stuff in Egypt or kind of you know scaling into to the UAE then into Saudi etc. But that makes a lot of sense. And you know. Just quickly, you've been in the UAE a very long time, and through your journey, things have changed so much over the years, you know, from your rollback at Future Foundation to what you're doing now. If you could kind of take three things that you're most excited about over the next three to five years that you see happening within the ecosystem, both from a local perspective and a global perspective, what would you, could you pinpoint three you know, I, I think it would be great to see a few more large exits, maybe one or two IPOs, to just really solidify the capital market opportunities for a lot of these startups. And I think we'll see that later this year. Um, so that would be fantastic. I think it would be great to see one or two companies scale globally a little bit and emerge or acquire even a global player. Because again, that then validates the region's global presence and equal technology. And then, you know, well, I guess that's two things. You asked for two or three. So there you go. There's two things. Two or three. I tell you, I, I, and I agree with you. I, I'm excited. I think you're, you're 100%. I think, you know, a there's a couple of things that I would love to see. A, a regional startup go global, truly global, and put its footprint on international markets. I think that, from a UAE perspective, can you now build to go global from here? It's a real opportunity i think the other thing is you're right the ipo you know i think having an ipo to come out of this region will be phenomenal and i think we'd be i guess close a few times but never quite got there and um, so i agree with you on that and before we kind of near the end you've been to expand north south so many times you've been to the conference in the uae if you can kind of think of anybody coming in visiting expand north star this year how would they make the best use of their time here or what should they be experiencing? I think as people come into the region, it, it, it's good to meet with the founders. So I think as much as we do see people coming in looking um, to, to advance their capital formation, I think what's more interesting is really meeting with the founders, understanding their challenges, understanding how the ecosystem's growing, the, you know, the, the solutions that they're building, uh, the companies that they're growing, and, and really getting a, a feel for what's happening here. And it's not that hard to find the founders, and they're all very friendly. Um, and you know, the question is, 
you know, spend time with them and understand their journeys. And that'll help you understand the ecosystem. That I think is very important. Amazing. And Noor's experience, kind of three things you wish you'd known 10 years ago. One is, you know, to celebrate the small wins. So I think, you know, in, in the 20s and 30s, I took myself way too seriously um, yeah. and, and didn't, didn't pause enough to, to kind of celebrate small wins. The second is that, you know, you eventually get there. So just enjoy the journey, right? And, and really like focus on enjoying the journey. And the third is just to surround yourself with people you enjoy being with. I think you're, I think you're, I think enjoying the moments, enjoying those little wins, I think it's the best thing. And I think a lot of people surrounding yourself with people you enjoy being with. I've heard, I've heard somebody say, if you have more than five friends, then you've probably got too many. I'm not sure I agree with that. Noor, thank you so much for being with us today. It's a real pleasure having you uh, on EUVC. Hopefully you'll join us again on the next episode. But I think if anybody coming to the UAE, if anybody wants to understand a bit deeper about the ecosystem, I think you've probably been the best person and then hopefully you'll, they'll connect with you directly. Of course, that would be wonderful. Thank you, Alman. Thanks, Andreas. Thank you so much. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. An alliance. This, this is a union of values, of values. United and determined. We can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem, problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting. 